Bible, God's book, God's good book, the good book. God's first chapter of his good book cuts through the inflation of human nonsense to give us free gifts. And who doesn't like free gifts? Everybody likes free gifts, right? Well, on one hand, human beings are the only ones with the capacity to actually understand God's free gifts. But on the other hand, only humans can be so ignorant as to ignore those free gifts. So that's what we want to do. We want to find out what God's free gifts are. And so come on in and let's take a look at God's free gift of dismissal. You'll see what I mean in a minute. Come on in. channel because I like talking about God and I hope you like talking about God. I only want to help other people talk about God in a meaningful way, in the way that he would want us to speak about him. And that comes from reading the Bible. So we are here to read the Bible better, to read a Bible with a bit of a sense of humor because, well, I'm pretty sure God has a sense of humor way before we ever do. We take ourselves too seriously and I try to never take myself more seriously than God takes me. Anyhow, Here's what we do at the Biblical Channel. We read the Bible. We talk about it. It's just that simple. It's the normal way that God speaks to us. Everything we do here is an attempt to just be normal, um, to be regular, to you know be average, nothing exceptional here other than the very words that God gives us um, are designed to get us the most or to ring the chamois of life with the most success. And we have found success. People have found success for thousands of years in God's words. And so we want to see you find success and be helpful in the conversational um, life with God that we all should have. So anywho, um, what we do at the Biblical Channel is simply read the Bible and we are going to read the Bible. We're going to read a little bit more of Genesis 1 than we have before. So this will be a longer reading, so get yourself comfortable and, uh, and listen in carefully for the selections that I've made. It's the And God Said bits and we'll unpack this in just a moment. But if you like what we do, feel free to like it, share it, tell other people. We, we dig it whenever uh, our popularity grows. But hey, if you just want to keep us a, a secret so that you sound smart with your own company of friends and your own uh, social settings, that's good for us too. We just want people to talk about God and to talk good about God. That's what it means when we say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It just means to talk well of God. Anyhow, here's our reading, and it's just Genesis chapter 1, where we've been for a while now, and we may still you know, continue in here, because so much stuff that we can get out of Genesis chapter 1, it's meant to be a big chapter in our lives. So it goes like this, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God called the expanse heaven. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. 
And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, fruits, trees bearing fruit, which is their seed, each according to its own kind on the earth. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate day from night and let them be signs for seasons, for days, for years. Let them be lights and expanses um, in the heavens to give light upon the earth. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heaven to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day and the night, to separate the light from the darkness. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. Let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful, multiply, fill the waters and the seas. Let the birds multiply on the earth. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creeping things, beasts on the earth according to their kinds. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and the livestock and all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and every living thing that moves on the earth. Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food and every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to the everything that creeps on the earth and everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food and it was so. And God saw that everything he had made, behold, it was very, very good. I added a second very there. Well, that's a longer reading. Let's do what we should normally do after we read the Bible. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And indeed, uh, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Truly, deliver us from evil, Lord. That's our prayer. Um, and help us in every way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All righty. Here we are, the moment maybe we've been waiting for. Um, many of you have, uh, you know, probably wanted to dive into the the days, uh, which are truly occupying most of the space of Genesis chapter one, and now is that time. We're going to take a look at the meaning of each day of creation as it was written to be. The very first thing that you must put in your mind to get the most out of this and to really understand what Moses is doing and what God is doing in your life with Genesis chapter 1, and the reason why I will call it the gift of dismissal is because 3,400 years ago, everybody on the planet was a polytheist. If they weren't, they were such an exception to the rule. It's not even worth noting. You know, statistics, you know, when something is so minuscule, that you just don't want to even mention it because it's not worth your time. 
hey, when it comes to polytheism, the idea that there were multiple, many, 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 many gods um, was simply the prevailing mindset of the land. And hey, I don't blame them. And you shouldn't either. If you're looking back on the past with some sort of snooty snottiness, then you're a problem because it is quite natural to look around and to see these great lights, to see the way the world works and to understand that you're created and you didn't create this place. It's natural to start giving homage to just about everything that you see. It's natural to just, you know, to be spooked by this creation. We've talked about this before. I think our natural condition should be to be terrorized by our own existence, but we are Oh, man, we are a confident lot. And so we just simply dismiss it. And so that's kind of built in here to what God's doing in the first six days of creation. The way it was written, the audience that God is talking to is culture, all the cultures of the world. And he wants them to know a very important thing. In day one, in day one, God dismiss or, you know, the gods of light and darkness, they're dismissed. So you see what's going to happen here in every day of creation in Genesis chapter one, God is going to dismiss the normal round and cluster of gods that have been invented uh, by man. And again, it, it, I would too. I would too. If I didn't have any better information, man, I would worship the moon. I'd worship the stars. I'd worship the sun. I'd worship the trees. I'd worship everything just to, you know, just to make sure I got everything right. Um, and so day one, any gods of light and dark dismissed. Day two, gods of sky and sea, dismissed. Day three, gods of earth and plants, dismissed. Day four, gods of sun, moon, and stars, dismissed. Day five, gods of sea and air creatures, dismissed. Day six, gods of animal and human kingdoms, dismissed. Countless clusters of gods, all the gods, are dismissed in Genesis chapter one. It's just a simple dismissal. You're dismissed, says God. There's no need for you here anymore. Polytheism, it's not a real thing. Now, in order to understand, um, you know, how polytheism had put in place, uh, you know, just about anything and everything out of the created order in the realm of a god, um, you have to go back to your seventh grade history class. And I think there's something a little bit devious in our, you know, putting this material in seventh grade history, because who remembers seventh grade history, right? I teach eighth grade history. And uh, I, I, I remember, I remember a little bit about this, but boy, it sure is a long time ago. I think it's even sadder that the bulk of our United States history is brought to students in the eighth grade. Gosh, who remembers anything from being 12 and 13 years old? Maybe there's a diabolical twist to putting that information so early in our children's education. I don't know, but I'm not a conspiracist theory, so um, I don't hold to that stuff. Anyhow, but the idea here is, is to, to be a grown-up and to remember that, that polytheism was the lay of the land. We may dismiss it today as, as, as the, the realm of simpletons or, you know, the pagans or, the, you know, the rustics, you know, etc. the hayseeds, the bumbleweeds, you know, that kind of thing. But this is the day that Moses is writing to, and it will hold, this kind of idea will hold its place you know, for the next 2,000 years, basically, um, after Moses writes this. So Moses writes this 3,400 years ago, when a time when everybody's a polytheist. And the, the basic account is, is, is speaking to the simple fact that God wants 
everybody to understand that everything comes from the one good God's creative work. Everything comes from the one good God's creative work. God is not being mean here, by the way. So stop with your butt hurt, you know, huffy puffs, you know, or, and stop people from me, their butt hurt, huffy puffing around. God is not being mean. He just simply wants everybody to have the best information, the inside information. You know what I'm saying? The, the insider talk. He wants you to know what's real. Um, you know, from God's point of view, everything is pretty ridiculous except for what is real. And what is real is he's the creator. In a strange way, doesn't that make some sense? <laughs> well, if you're God, it certainly does. And he wants you to start making sense too. So day seven, think about day seven for a second. Now we didn't read it, but you, you know what day seven's all about. It's about rest. And that was the real point, right? Um, day seven doesn't have a beginning or an end. There's no morning and evening and then the seventh day. There's, there's seemingly no end to day seven, which is the day of rest, which has, which has nothing to do with God needing a nap and watching a football game, by the way. But it is the day of expectation, that day of expectation where God is basically saying to all creation, come on in, enjoy. There's nothing to fear here. Um, it's all for you. Relax, would you? Um, by dismissing, by dismissing all of the gods, he doesn't make your world less stable. He makes your world more stable. Have a think about that. Even hit the pause button if you need to on this video and have a think about that. God's creation account actually brings a dismissal of all the silliness of life and brings in the reality that is meant to be enjoyed and meant to drive out all of the fears that one may have. It's meant for you to come and relax and enjoy what you were in, you were created to understand and to know. It's a soothing effect. It really is. Well, anyhow, Genesis chapter one is a daily reminder of one big point, that there's one God who creates for goodness sake. We hear that over and over again, God created something, everything out of his goodness sake. Each day of creation is, is a rejection or just simply a dismissal of, of all of our invented ideas so that we would understand the world in which God is made and we are a part of that world. It's actually designed to get rid of the nonsense. It's designed to bring a sense of relief knowing how good and personal the creation actually is and normal it actually is, that it's actually there for us, not against us, and there's nothing superstitious lying behind the scenes, which is pretty radical if you think about it, especially in a world of polytheism, uh, which is normal for human beings to, to think in terms of polytheism. And there are cultures today, huge, huge, Populate, I don't want to pick on anybody, but there are huge populations of people that still are polytheists at heart. Okay, so, you know, one has to understand that the first, you know, the seven-day week is meant to be a simple, you know, rendition of a daily reminder. Israel knew that. Israel called the seven days of the week one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Day first, day second, day third. And the list goes on. 
because each day was a reminder that God created this good place. Each day of the week was just simply stated or, uh, you know, set up as a reminder that indeed God is the creator of the world. And, and it's funny that no matter where Israel went in the storyline, they seemed to make a train wreck out of the country that they're brought into, even when they're brought against their will. And they certainly made a train wreck out of Rome. Um, you know, I, I love reading that, uh, that Gibbons guy who, who blames Christianity for the fall of Rome, which I think he's right, but he's whining about it because he loves Rome. He wishes we were all under Rome still. I don't wish we were under Rome still. I'm glad that Rome fell, and I'm glad Christianity brought, broke the back of Rome, so to speak. But it's really interesting. Rome had an eight-day work week, you know, or an eight-day week. You know, that's how they, you know, tried and did set things up. And uh, when Christianity broke Rome's back, one of the things it broke the back on is the seven-day week, and so the seven-day week becomes extremely normalized. Not to say it didn't; in, it wasn't in other cultures too. But the seven-day week becomes normalized. The unfortunate thing is that Christianity didn't seem to win the day of the naming of the days of the week, because every day of the week is still named after some sort of planetary god, uh, a god that you know is representative of the planets. So Sunday is the sun, Monday is the moon, Tuesday is Mars, Wednesday is Mercury, Thursday. Jupiter, Friday is Venus, and Saturday, well, that's pretty easy, Saturn. Um, you can look that up on the Google. You know, it's it's not interesting. It's just that Christianity should have went the next step and said, hey, Rome, we are not calling these seven days of the week uh, by the names of planetary gods. We're going to call them by their numbers so that we actually remember Genesis chapter one. I think that would have been helpful, but Whatever. <laughs> I didn't get my way. You didn't get your way. It is what it is, as this world loves to say. So there are other great ideas that do connect up with Genesis chapter one. It is refreshingly normal. Um, it is uh, you know, refreshingly uplifting. Superstition, supernatural powers, natural powers are actually dismissed with a simple breath stroke. Gods and animals and, or, you know, animal gods and human gods dismissed. Think about that for a second. Almost every emperor and every king or whatever you want to call them, Pharaoh, assumed that they and told the people that they were among the gods. And that's why you had to obey them. Genesis chapter one says that is absolute, utter freaking nonsense. Yeah. Okay, so Genesis 1, you know, brings, you know, if you, if you meditate on it for just a little bit, you start thinking about, oh, in Genesis chapter 1, I learned that all men are created equal. In Genesis chapter 1, I learned that there's a certain inalienable right that I have that comes from God, not from men and not from governments. The idea of self-government comes out of Genesis chapter 1. The idea that my purpose here on earth is to create cosmos out of chaos, not to bring chaos into cosmos, because that's what God does in chapter 1. And we talked about cosmos already, so go back and listen to that one um, if you don't know what I mean. John Locke, you know, the patron uh, writer for our country's founding documents, he got all of his ideas from right here. Genesis chapter one, they are this world's natural ideas that God himself gives us. Genesis one, 
God himself is the author of all great ideas. We didn't invent anything good without God giving us the idea. And, and by the way, Christians are the only ones on the planet that actually talk like this. The idea that all men are created equal, inalienable rights, self-government. These are Christian thoughts. These came from Christianized nations. So, uh, you know, yeah, I know you hate to hear it, but it's the truth. The pagan world did not come up with these ideas. And socialism and communism certainly did not aspire to these ideas. It talks one out of one side of its mouth and it does another thing out of the other side of its mouth. Maybe we'll talk about that in a minute. But the idea that we need to, I suppose, move into is, you know, the the day that we live in, the day, so to speak, um, the creation story of today as as it is being told to us in the subtleties and in the background of our human institutions, our government and our our sadly, our educational institutions as well. And so I'm going to give you my own little account of the seven days of creation according to today's logic. Um, and I'm going to give you words that wouldn't naturally fall into your vocabulary. Maybe you studied some of these words in college. Maybe you didn't. But listen, I'm just a redneck. You know, I'm just a cracker. Um, and if I can get it, you can get it. But these are the background ideas to our society today, whether you like it or not. Um, uh, I picked up on this conversation from a great guy by the name of Bruce Walkie. If you want to track down his work, he's a great guy to, to read and, and listen to. He's dead now. But it, anyhow, uh, I'm not inventing this stuff, but this is your reality. This is my reality. And so I'll call day one materialism. And materialism is quite easy. It's very simple. It's that matter is the only thing that matters. <laughs> it's just as easy as that. The only thing that matters is matter. Matter and motion is all there is. And I will tell you that this idea is as old as the old world itself. You know, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Democrates, those morons, they dabbled around in all of these ideas that the only thing there was were the things that you could touch and the motions that they had. It, it's a certain, uh, um, you know, cynical look at the world, I suppose. It's where negativity really starts to creep in. One of the main differences between the old world, though, and our world is that, um, you know, even though, you know, guys like, you know, the philosophers of the past wrestled with the ideas of materialism and they had their followers. It was never mainstream. People just said, well, that's dumb. In fact, the popular, you know, the, we'll call it the, the popular movement, right? The, the, the populists and the populist about, um, the populist thought that spirit matters, that matter probably doesn't matter, but spirit does matter. Um, and, and so I would say that out of materialism, there is always a certain cynicism or a negativity that begins. And that takes us to day two, which I would call the day of empiricism. And empiricism makes the point that all of our understanding simply comes from observation, experiments, and verification. 
No need for God here. It's quite simple. You know, just stick with, with our observation, our experiment and verification. There's no need for God. Um, this is where deism and atheism begin and have their roots. The deist, you know, says that, you know, well, really, God's quite disinterested personally in the world that he created. And he's kind of like the divine watchmaker who wound it up and he and he let it go. And he said he went on. I guess he went on some sort of carnival cruise. Um, he's out enjoying himself. He really doesn't care about the day to day operations of the place because he he wound it up like a clock to. And he said, hey, figure it out, figure it out, figure it out. Figure it out. Nah, you know, so deism says God just wound the place up, made it, you know, put it in motion. And uh, he left to go on holiday. And he said, figure it out. And then atheism kicks in. It's quite the, you know, atheism, quite natural to deism because the atheist is just realistic and says, OK, well, if God's not interested in this place, I'm not interested in God. <laughs> but deism and atheism, you know, come out of the empiricism, you know, kind of mindset, which takes us to day three, which is determinism fatalism. Everything is determined by natural causes. There's nothing special about anything that happens. The idea of origins, how everything began, philosophy, it's inconsequential. It, it, it really lacks any real meaning. And this is where nihilism begins. This is the big shoulder shrug of life where people just simply say there's no meaning in anything. So why would I do anything? Day four, secularism. Day four is interesting because this is where things get political and social and regulated. Political and social regulation is all about secularism and po the politics and the social, you know, uh, experiments are all about regulating nature and society and institutions. And, and here's where religious faiths are specifically kicked to the curb. There's no need for religious faiths here. They're not invited to the conversation. And it's even worse than that because it's not just religion that is kicked to the curb under secularism. It's actually all philosophy, all metaphysics, all meta narratives. They're all frowned upon. You know, and you're you're given the dirty little eyebrows, the stink eyes, you know, of uh, philosophy, uh, religion, uh, metaphysics and meta narratives. This is where the intelligentsia arises, you know, the education groups. This is where the think tanks, you know, ponder and scratch their chins and they think, uh, you know, that they are all the world needs is the intelligent people to tell them how to run their lives. It's where things get weird, I would say. And when the intelligentsia rises, you need to think to yourself about socialism and communism in the past and think about how that went. You know, when government governments and their institutions make a specific regulation against religious practice and, and religious thoughts and, and a celebration of people's religious ideas, etc. Well, it's not good for humanity, but it's, it's an old story, which takes us to day five, and I'll call day five secular humanism. That's where rights come from, the idea of rights coming from human interests alone that all of our rights are not, you know, from some cosmic being in, you know, in the proverbial sky, um, no creator here. The only rights that we have come from our own self-interests and human interests are all that matter under secular humanism and all interests matter, by the way. So, you know, you know 
So under secular humanism, things just start getting bizarre because all interests matter and human interests are all that matters and human rights come from interests in human matters. It's a very self-absorbing thing. Let's just say this is where the mobs start to rise because, hey, everybody, everybody's interest matters. Day six, we'll call that postmodernism or new ageism. And postmodernism and new ageism is, 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 you know, first of all, it has to be said that modernism came before postmodernism. And modernism, what we'll just call modernism that age that, you know, started from the scientific revolution of the 1400s and the 1500s. And you got to give credit to modernism because modernism seemed to be fascinating with figuring out um, the, the, you know, created goodness of God's order to make improvements to life. And we even see that in the philosophers of the 16th and 17th centuries, like John Locke, they're still of this mindset that, hey, we've, we've had it all wrong. We, we haven't really tapped in to the creator's good natural philosophy that he's given us, Genesis chapter one stuff. Um, and, and so postmodernism, Postmodernism is is putting modernism aside, and postmodernism or new ageism comes in and it, it's completely at this point the the hostility and the disinterest in God's creative order couldn't be higher. In fact, you know you you are a bum if you are going to bring up some sort of God's created good order to this world. But there's a weird twist in uh, postmodernism and new ageism, and the weird twist is that every interest group appropriates. You've heard that word before, right? Appropriates. It's them that are appropriating the religious garbs that they profess to hate. They have their vestments, their bells, their smells, their rituals, their rites, their priests, their priesthood of believers. They have their shuns. They have their banishments. They have their forced conversions. And they have an extreme rugged intoleration for any dissent of any kind. The very thing they said they hated in religion, they practice with full, full vestments, full vestments. And this is the postmodern new age, you know, expression of really the building of the previous day fives. Pride, pride is 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 now in in making the opposition to your movement walk on eggshells. There's this great pride of making everybody afraid to talk. There's a great pride in keeping people silent and just looking at them with you know their silly stickers. Um, this is where the full fun suckers, fanatics, the yellers and the screamers, the foul-mouthed yellers and screamers, um, you know, start to take their footholds. And I think, sadly, you know, there's always been this group of fun-sucking fanatics, yellers and screamers. But in, in today's day, it seems like they are really getting the majority. Yeah, I think that they have the upper hand at this point, which brings us to day seven. What about day seven? Well, here's what I would say about day seven under the new creation story that we live in right now. In day seven, there's no rest. It's chaos returned. There's no God who makes cosmos out of, you know, chaos, you know, for goodness sake. No, 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 no. Just a rugged reliance on human self-interest. That's all. 
constantly jerked around, being jerked around, jerking others around. And, and it's what Theodore Dalrymple, a great book. I, I recommend uh, this, uh, you know, anything that Theodore Dalrymple, you know, puts out. But he says, you know, and he's an atheist for Pete's sakes. And, and, you know, he's a cynic. We'll say that. But he does respect, you know, religion. He just, you know, feels like he he needs more information. I say stop it, Theodore. But anyhow, I like reading what he says. But but even Theodore Dalrymple says we are currently, and he's, you know, comes from a cynical, you know, kind of an atheistic perspective. He says we are truly living today in the theater of the absurd. I love those words. The theater of the absurd where chaos just reigns. Now, here's the question. What does Genesis chapter 1 have to say about all of this? What does God have to say about all of this? Well, I would say this. Without being mean, with a very calm tone, God simply dismisses the old gods, the modern gods, and the postmodern gods. You see, there is absolutely nothing new in New Ageism. New Ageism's behaviors and practices that stem from materialism and secularism, all of this stuff was hashed around by all of the philosophers of the past, extending clear back to 600 BC. We can find people wrestling with their silly ideas and their new ideas as to how to live our, our lives. And, and, and frankly, it's moronic. From God's point of view, he's not trying to be mean. He's saying, listen, you, your ideas aren't getting anywhere. Your ideas don't bring about meaning and purpose. And so Genesis chapter 1 is God just simply giving you good information with rest in mind. You see, all of the you know new creation stories ideas take us into a place of unrest. God's creation idea takes us to the place of rest to resting with God, to resting with our fellow human beings. But as the old proverb goes, there's no rest for the wicked, and human beings have an unnatural talent. Well, I, I don't know whether you call it natural talent or unnatural talent, but human beings have a natural talent or an unnatural talent for ignoring God's words. Yeah, that's right. Genesis chapter 1 is plug and play for everybody. It's meant to be plug and play for everybody. Plug and play means it's simple. So simple Billy can do it. So simple a Bubba can do it. So simple a redneck can do it. Genesis chapter 1 is meant for the simple and the complex alike because it dismisses the absurd. And dismissing the absurd, dismissing the absurd is a gift. God is trying to bring us the good gift of dismissing all of the absurd and, and, and unrestful ideas that this world comes up with, our fellow human beings coming up with. God steps in and gives us Genesis 1 so that we might find meaning, purpose, relationship that comes from God and that leads to others that comes out of God's creating out of goodness and leads us into a life focused on goodness. And I'll be honest with you. I don't see any meaningful competition in sight from the materialists to the new ageists and everybody in between to the polytheists. I, I don't see anything better than what God is giving us in Genesis chapter 1. And, and listen, the proof is in the pudding. Humanity has been improved 
by Genesis chapter 1 thinking. And humanity does itself in when it ignores Genesis chapter 1 thinking. But I think we need to talk more about that idea of rest. So come back the next time. We'll talk about God's free gift of rest. (music) Thank you.